He's a retired agent from the DEA. He's also a college professor and a podcaster. And he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, if you got a few moments, leave an honest review and rating. But most importantly, tell a friend or two or three. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, Be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Calling us from Massachusetts, we have Dr. Steve Morielli on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Doc, thanks so much for being a guest. Very much appreciated. Hey, glad to be here, Jay. How's it going down there? It's wonderful down here. By the way, I'm called uh, Steve Doc. He is a doctor, and he is also has a podcast called The Cop Doc, which you can get on the LET Podcast Network. Go to letradioshow.com, the Be Heard tab, LET Podcast Network. You'll find it right there. You can also do a Google search for Cop Doc Podcast as well. And you, you, you got a long career in law enforcement. Rather than me butcher this, Doc, let's start from the beginning. Brief overview of your career, start to finish. Sure, happy. So I started as an auxiliary in Massachusetts, and that wasn't much to it. But it got me. The, it got me in involved in in policing. You'd get called, and you'd you'd shut down a street, or you'd you'd cover an accident after after they were taking a report. After that, I I decided I was going to go into the military. So many of my my relatives had served in the military, and I thought it was my time. So I went in the army. I became an MP. I was a military police officer, and I came out, went back to school, and I became a police officer in New Hampshire, a small city in New Hampshire, 50 officers, 30,000, 40,000 people in, in town, and that's where I got my start. Then I moved on, uh, went to the Drug Enforcement Administration, where I was an agent and traveled the world, and uh, ended up retiring after becoming a manager. Awesome. And, and now you're a college professor, too, right? I am. Uh, right now, I'm serving as the chair and a professor. I've been doing that for 15 years, my second career. I'm, I'm uh, in a department at Worcester State University, which is in central Massachusetts. We've got about 500 students, 10 faculty. So I'm, I'm teaching. Unfortunately, we're teaching online, Zoom only. Gotcha. I'm sure that's a real wear on you and the students as well. It is. It is. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Jay, one of the things we end up doing is if you've been playing in the podcast world or, or whatever, just 
just talking to people. I run it. Unfortunately, the kids don't like that as much. But I run it as if it's a talk show, and we keep them engaged. That's the important thing. And we're trying to help them understand how difficult policing is and whether or not that's what they want to do. And that not, not all want to become police officers, but in the criminal justice field overall. I'm glad you brought that up because that is a, a source of contention. So many people, and I'll be honest with you, Doc, I, I blame Hollywood, uh, television, movies, social media, you name it, news media, about the portrayal of policing. Policing in the United States is nothing like what people are exposed to on TV, and they believe that's the reality. Well, I'm afraid you're absolutely right. And so many students that will come in, and they all now want to be CSI investigators. <laughs> you think to yourself, if you're not a scientist, if you're not a chemist, if you, if you don't specialize in biology, you are not going to be a chemist. And so the jobs are out there are, are very, very slim. But so, there are some people, li- listen, Jay, there's a lot of people who, who come to school, and CJ is a very popular, no matter where, it's a very popular major. Not everybody is cut out to be a police officer, as you well know. Uh, but we try to talk to them in, in real terms, how difficult the job is, how, you know, police suicides. And I listen to your show all of the time, that thing you're talking about, and what we've been watching on TV is just, is just crazy. But we have to make, but what I try to do is humanize the police officer and that, you know, when somebody's making an arrest, it is never going to look good on camera, never, because the other person does not want to be taken into custody. So it's going to look pretty pretty rough and and oh my god when you talk about brutality i say to them is that brutal you know when somebody bites me and i want to push their face off of my off of my arm and i have to maybe punch them or swing at them is that brutal i don't think so it's it's getting them to stop or release my skin from their teeth the point well is well taken there's an old saying uh, no one wants to see sausage or hot dogs being made but everybody likes to eat them no one no one ever wants to see police use of force it's never looks good it's all i was taught by the old timers they said if you have to use force be quick be swift and make it over because the long this this pity pat stuff people do and this is a, a bone of contention i have with modern law enforcement so much of it is grappling nowadays look we were taught never to do that never to do that because it put yourself in a position where you were extremely vulnerable yes yeah, so don't pity pat. If you got if you got to hit someone, hit them. Talk about it. Don't lie about it. Be truthful about it, and get over it. Yes, that's very true. And when they're handcuffed, it's over. Yes, that's that's a that's a that's the best part. You're absolutely right, and that's what gets people in trouble too. It's the aftermath, uh, you know. But the adrenaline and the emotion gets involved, and and so that's that takes training and experience to kind of get over that. And unfortunately, the only way you get experience is by doing the job. Uh, yes, I look back. And I'm, you don't have to agree with me or disagree. I look back, and when I was a rookie police, I was an idiot. I thought I knew everything. I really did. And I, I, it took about five years before I really came good at what I was doing. And then the next five years was so hard on me physically and mentally. Well, it's not an easy job. And as, as I've heard you say in the past, it's lots of sedentary time, sitting, waiting, nothing, 
and then the next thing you know, your adrenaline goes. And so imagine, I mean, for people who do not have that experience, imagine what happens physiologically to yourself, to yourself when, you, when you're rolling on a call and there's potentially a gun or there's, a, there's a, a colleague that is crying for help or calling for help and you're moving, you're moving towards it. And it, it really affects your body. Your body gets ready. You get ready. You get mentally ready. And you may be in a world of hurt for a little while. Uh, and, and then it passes. And so the body is just going, you have the heart and everything else going up and down and up and down. It's not easy on the human body. It isn't. And I, I think that's universal from every branch of law enforcement. I, I was very fortunate in my career. I was detailed to DEA for almost a year and a half, almost two years yeah. uh, out of Baltimore. And I got to work with exceptional people. And uh, there were federal agents. And I also got to work with a lot of great law enforcement officers who were local who were detailed like me. And we worked all over the state of Maryland and went down to Florida, did some things down here as well. But even they, they didn't get a break from it. You know, they may not have been exposed to it every day to the same amount that the city police were, but they still caught brutality. They still caught violence. They still caught a lot of trauma. They do. They do, and and that's and I, I will tell you, Jay, if, and I'm glad that you brought up the fact that you were a task force officer. They were great to work with. For example, for, for my experience was that the, I just loved working with local police officers, and DEA is all about that. And and I would say that I became a better DEA agent for having been a local police officer and understanding what their day-to-day job is before I became a Fed. And by the way, I have people tell me all the time, I want to become an FBI agent. And I'm like, do you have a college degree? Are you a lawyer? Are you an accountant? <laughs> well, the chances are you're not getting the FBI. You want to be in right. DEA? Unless you have law enforcement and a college degree, you're not getting there as well either. And, and look, those agencies, just like everybody uh, in law enforcement, are it's a recruiting nightmare trying to find the best. And when we have people who have college, military experience, They have many, many options. Many are opting not to join this honorable profession. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Being switched on is a daily decision. The Switched On Life podcast provides life-saving tips for the entire family. No matter where you play or pray, stay switched on. Go to Switched On Life to learn more. Return conversation with Dr. Steve Morielli on the Law Enforcement Today Show. He is a retired DEA agent. Uh, he's got many years of law enforcement experience, and he's also a college professor and a podcaster. Before we end the break, Doc, we talked a little bit about why, what you teach. And is there a reason why you decided you want to be an educator? Well, you know, that's interesting because I did a lot of training uh, with the DEA. And uh, my wife once said to me, why do you think you got into uh, teaching. And I say that it's because you're trying to have an impact on other people. So, yes, I'm teaching. I'm teaching criminal justice courses, law enforcement and society, strategic planning, drugs, <laughs> drugs law and society, American judicial, the capstone, and, uh, and leadership. Do you find that when you teach, if you're like me, you don't lie, you don't tell stories. I don't even do the war stories bit anymore because everybody's got those. But I try mm-hmm. to tell people the reality of what life is like for law enforcement officers. And when I do, when it doesn't match up with what their pre- preconceived stereotypes are, I'm labeled as copaganda. Do you get that at all? All the time. 
And I, I say to people once, you know, the best time for young people is in college. They don't realize it until afterwards. And then when you when you figure out that you want to do something like this, is a police officer, corrections officer, a lawyer, all of a sudden, it's not that you're owned, but this is a demanding job, or policing is a demanding job. And as you well know, Jay, with manpower problems, very often you think you're going home, and the next thing you know, somebody calls out sick, and you are on for a 16-hour ride. And so I make, it, I make, it, I make them understand that, that it, it's not as easy as it seems. Uh, and, and so it, it, I, to me, it's about being honest with people. And that's exactly where I run into problems. Uh, I've been told so many often when people automatically assume that police shoot everybody, uh, the slightest slightest sign of gunplay and it's shots fired. And I just tell people a little bit of my story. I was in four shootings in 10 years. And the first two, I never even fired a shot back because immediately I knew the threat was over. Uh, And you could explain why that could be the topic of a whole show. There were times we had kids armed with uh, BB guns, replicas that, that you didn't shoot them. You, you don't know why at the time it just worked out that way. Thank God. And when you tell people that they're like, that's a lie. Well, it's not a lie. I could tell you what I say to so many of my colleagues, and I'm so lucky. Listen, once you're once you're a police officer, it's you know there is a brotherhood, and no matter where I go, I just came back from Ireland where I was working with the Garda, uh, the uh, the Irish National Police, and it's just an amazing uh, opportunity. But many times we we it's not about training; it's about a little bit of luck that you get out of a, a jam. Uh, that you don't make that mistake, and and then you you kind of wipe yourself off and say, "Thank goodness that didn't go sour." Absolutely. And by the way, the guard are great. And they are. We, I've talked to so many law enforcement in the United Kingdom, uh, other parts of Europe, and all of them are doing the same type of thing, where they're overworked, they're understaffed, and they're expected to handle and solve every problem in society. And when people have a dispute with the government right or wrong the most accessible branch of the government is your police department and they're the ones who catch the brunt of it yes i, I agree with that and actually that's one of the reasons that i start started the podcast i wanted to give back the best that i could i wanted to share with people i wanted to talk with people like you do it's an it's amazing and anybody that i've asked to jump on the uh, the podcast has said absolutely it's been it's been great Get great feedback and and imagine jay one of the things that i'm doing is we're talking Yesterday, I was talking to somebody who retired from the RCMP in Canada, and we were talking about any number of issues, including diversity and even leadership mistakes that they had made when they came up through the ranks. And I think there's so many lessons that can be had by just hearing the perspectives of others who do the job. We've had a couple RCMP on. I'd love to have more of our, our brothers and sisters up north on the show as well. Uh, and they, they cover such a large area. Uh, and they're so understaffed, and they are victims of the same type of violence that American law enforcement face all the time. They are. They are for sure. And, and you know, th- th- that's what I find is that, you know, first of all, I'll, I'll say this. The police, the police today and what's going on, they're given the black eye by, by the... Um, by the actions of a few, and there are there are some who ask whether or not there's systemic racism in policing, and I'm not sure that I buy that. I think there is racism. I think there is some systems uh, racism. It probably ends up in the courts, maybe in corrections. Uh, it all depends on where you work. But I think most people who do this job do it for the right reason, uh, and they are trying. There's 
to my, to my knowledge, I have never knew anybody who went to work thinking, I want to shoot somebody today. It's just not in the mindset of a police officer. No, it, it doesn't work that way. And I'll just go back real quickly on your thing about systemic racism. And people say, well, you don't know because you're a white guy. Or you don't know because you're a police officer. I, I worked in underprivileged communities my entire career. High crime, high violence, and they were very underserved when it comes to schools and, and occupations and employment and everything else was always an issue. When I want to say systemic, systems are made of people. And when you, if you take, let's just say, 300 police, you can tell me every one of them is a racist. They don't have their own mindset, their own moral compass, their own way they were raised, right and wrong. It's just not logically possible. Yeah, it's an uphill battle for people to believe that. I happen to believe it, and you do. Uh, it's a tough job. And here's the thing. You know, the police officer today, even when they're watching what's happening in other places, they have to go to work. They have to put their gun belt on. Men and women are doing it every every day, no matter what. And you can't say, I'm not going on the call. You have to show up. So it's, it's a tough job, and it draws some tremendous people, and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. It's interesting, Jay. The other day, you know, I was in a class, and we were, they were asking me about, we were talking about police suicide and stress and all of those kinds of things. And then somebody actually, a student asked me, you know, well, what are the things that you've been involved in? And I don't talk about them an awful lot, but there are things that you and I have had to do that clearly have an impact. I'll give you an example. On 9-11, I was, I was asked to go down to, or I volunteered to go down to uh, Ground Zero. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And, and you know, you, you, you scratch your head. Are you impacted by it? No. And then you'll see things that on TV and you realize that you're brought back, you're transported back to that time. You know, I'm sure you felt the same thing, whether it's a fatal or it's a shooting that you're involved in. We, we put them in little boxes, but there are things that just leak out at times. Unexpected times and never at the Never at the wanted times. That's the thing. Never. <laughs> I'll, I'll recall right. this very quickly uh, before we get a break. I was uh, going to a convenience store with my wife. She had to run in to get something. I rarely go into those places. I don't like going into them for a lot of different reasons from my police career. And I could see through. And by the way, the reason why convenience stores have big windows up front is so that if there's a robbery or something going on, law enforcement outside can see in. That's the main reason why, or other customers. And there was a guy in there acting weird, acting wrong, just had everything set to radar off, the warning bells in my head, and I was like, honey, let's just wait a minute, let's not go inside till this cat is gone. And it could be as simple as a guy wearing a winter coat when it's 65 degrees outside. Yep. You know there's something not right about them. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. We're talking with Dr. Steve Morielli. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are your supervisors adding to low morale? If you answered yes, but you don't know how to fix the morale problem, start with my book, A Beginner's Guide to Leadership by Eddie Molina, available on Amazon or on my website, eddiemolina.com. That's E-D-D-I-E-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. Return conversation with Dr. Steve Morielli on the Law Enforcement Today Show is a retired DE agent. He's also a college professor and a podcaster host of the Cop Doc Podcast. You can find it on the LET Podcast Network. Do a search at letradioshow.com. 
Be Heard tab, you'll find it right there. Or just do a little search for Cop Doc Podcast. Great name, by the way. Thank you. Before we went to break, we were talking about America's perception of law enforcement. And maybe that's part of the reason what's guided you into becoming a professor and podcasting as well. Um, There's many things about the DEA. I'll be honest with you. I worked with them, so I have some knowledge, but many people don't understand or comprehend what they do. When we think DEA, we think of some of the fringe characters of Miami Vice, or we think of Narcos. And by the way, the guys from Narcos were on my show, great guys. And both of them came from very small town police departments, which defies stereotypes left and right, which I love about law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, DEA was a great experience, I have to say, and and it is very competitive to get in. You know, they train down at Quantico. There's only maybe 5,000 in the nation. When I got on, it was only 23 and was growing to 7,000. But it changed my perspective completely because now, all of a sudden, you are independent. You are wor- you're, you're being taken away from your home, the area you know. My first stop was in New Jersey, but that put me in New York uh, working all kinds of different cases in Florida constantly and in South America. And, and that in itself mystifies people because one day, I'll, I'll tell you a story, Jay, one day it, I was on surveillance and we were in Jersey City, New Jersey, and I was supposed to be home at, at, at midnight. We had friends coming over. It was actually Memorial Day weekend. And uh, on my way there, the boss calls me and says, Steve, you need to catch the next plane to, Cal- to, excuse me, the next plane to Florida. And I said, well, what am I going to do with my car? He said, just leave it there. We'll pick it up. And the next thing you know, at 8 o'clock, I'm in Florida. I had no idea I was going to Florida. I had nothing. I had no underwear. I had nothing. I ended up being down there for 10 days. And we were following somebody because the guy we were watching was and was leaving the country. And, uh, and anyway, for 10 days, I chased him around. We, we were always five hours behind him from Miami to Miami Beach, uh, to the airport, and then ultimately we thought we, he was going back to Colombia. He ended up in the Dominican Republic, and so did I. And so it's just an amazing, uh, am- amazing bit of trust to tell uh, an agent to just go and follow him, do what you have to do to get that person. And then we, we basically had him removed back to the United States. I was on the plane with him, and when he. When he got off, I was I was at the I was at the runway, saying welcome back. He had no idea that I was on the plane following him, but as he came back on, I I identified myself as Agent Morielli, and I I remember his name quite well. I won't use it, but you are under arrest. Welcome back to America, and 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 there it was. It's just it was a crazy it was crazy uh, the things that we ended up doing, the surveillances and where it took us, and the danger and the undercover operations. It was it was it was. Pretty hairy, but very exciting. And to tell you the truth, I'm sure you would say the same thing. There were days that I missed the hell out of it. You know, there are times, this sounds very weird. For someone who hasn't worked in law enforcement, it almost got to the point where getting shot at was an adrenaline rush that I thoroughly enjoyed. I didn't enjoy the aftermath. And I I jokingly tell people I'd have no problem chasing an armed murder suspect into an alley in a gunfight and not mm-hmm. think twice but asking a woman to dance at, at ladies night in a nightclub was petrifying we have limitations don't we yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> it's not rational the scale doesn't no. work right um no. but with all that people think there's a lot of glamour and the dea 
I know there's not. I know it's a real grind. It's a lot of work. And then you try to balance family life with that. Before we get into family life, the violence that these, and I'm using the term loosely, these drug gangs inflict in communities is unimaginable for most people. And I'm glad they have no way of understanding what it's really like. How would you describe the amount of violence that these drug gangs and cartels are capable of? Well, they, they're very violent, and uh, and what I think is interesting is the DEA, a DEA or an FBI task force will walk in and work with local police departments to ask, where are your problems? Where are your problem children? How can we help you? ATF does exactly the same thing. But uh, so, so what happens is certainly drugs and guns go together, and uh, and they're not afraid to use them, and they're not afraid to, to, to utilize them. And in a lot of ways, there's so, some two-bit thugs and gangs are really fighting for turf, as you are well aware of, and so other innocent people get in the way because they're not afraid to say you somebody off, or you're stealing, you're in, the, you're in my corner, or you, you looked funny at my girlfriend, and the next thing you know, my way to retaliate is by using a gun and by shooting. So it, it infects and impacts local neighborhoods horribly. And, and I, I can say that the local police can't always, don't always have the resources to do that. The benefit of, of a federal agency that comes in, Jay, as you know, because you had that authority, is that, and I know you used to say that, you, you, you couldn't do the job where you're now talking to the person for the first time, and as a local cop, what you're saying is you're going to jail, and the guy is thinking, so what, I went to jail a couple of weeks ago and I get out. Now you're going to federal jail, and you're not getting out, and the federal jail may not be in your state. Absolutely. And, and you're going to serve every day that you get. Yes. Yes. That's and, a, and I, a big I, I think big that's hammer. the leverage that you have. I'm sorry. Well, it's a huge hammer to have over someone. And these are why so many, one of the things I tell my wife all the time is drug people almost always flip. Uh, the, the hardcore <laughs> criminal guy, with the local police, maybe. But when you get them in federal and mm-hmm. in federal jurisdiction, it's totally different, especially when. You, you lock them up and you seize their houses and their bank accounts and their cars. And if they have airplanes, you seize their airplanes as well. And they're left with absolutely nothing but looking at th- 25 years and can do every day of it. Right. And what, we, what, what I used to love to be able to do, the leverage you would have in talking to them to try to convince them to flip, would be to tell them that, you know, what's your girlfriend's name, what's your, what's your wife's name, what's your brother's name. Do, they, do you know where San, Sandstone, Minnesota is? Because that's where you're going. Do they know how to get to Sandstone, Minnesota? You know, because it's 30 below zero there. And so you might want to talk to us or else you're not going to see family for an awfully long time. And it's really very funny to see how quickly they turn. Another thing that I I encountered quite a bit, and and personally, I know people are going to say, well, it's becoming legalized in, in most states. I don't care. If someone wants to smoke marijuana, I don't care. I, I'm a sober guy. I don't do any of that stuff. If you want to, go right ahead. But what people back in the day would say, hey, look, uh, it's just a nickel bag. I'm not bothering anybody. It's not hurting anybody. And then when I explain to them where your money goes and that you are funding Mexican drug cartels that are shooting people and burning them and putting tires around their neck and throwing them in 55-gallon drums, they don't want to believe it. Well, yeah, and, and we saw that firsthand with DEA, and, and uh, Enrico Camarena was killed in, in Mexico during my tenure. And, you know, I, I, I got into DEA in, in, the, in the 80s, I believe, early 80s, 83, I think. And, and 
and what we were what we were watching were issues that came up because again of turf war like you just said and when i went to columbia it was the same sort of thing that they had a, a bounty on our, on our head so i was const- i couldn't move around columbia without columbia national police national police protecting me in essence and when i would get there so interesting though jay and you may or may not know this if when a dea agent travels overseas they can't bring their weapon but when they show up you show up at, at the uh, at at the uh, dea office usually in the embassy and you're issued a weapon and that weapon is only to protect yourself you don't have any authority there without the the, the, the national police giving you that authority working in, in tandem but but remember there were there were there was a lot of money on our heads the same thing happens in mexico that's not a fun place for dea agents to be and look at what the, the what the, the country is doing with with dea agents basically stripping some of their immunity their diplomatic immunity we're gonna take a short break when we return we're talk more with dr steve morielli about his career in the drug enforcement administration his career as a college professor why he does that and his podcast the cop doc podcast you can do a search go to letradioshow.com the be heard tab let podcast network you'll find it right there uh, amongst many other great podcasts and you also do a google search for cop doc podcast this is law enforcement show so when you have a chance check out our facebook page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow as click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. We're here a short break. We'll be right back. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow L-E-T Radio Show P-O-1. On Instagram, follow LET Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is LETRadioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. To turn our conversation with Dr. Steve Morielli on the Law Enforcement Today Show, retired DEA agent college professor podcaster host of the cop doc podcast thanks for being a guest on the show and and thank you for your service it's very much appreciated thank you before we went to break we were such a great conversation too by the way doc about many things that people don't have a, a big or strong concept of about policing when i say policing that incorporates incorporates uh, local, rural, uh, city police, federal agents, uh, DEA as well. It's nothing like Hollywood, nothing like what TV produces. And I think one of the most clear-cut examples is uh, the misunderstanding people have with plain clothes, undercover, and deep cover. I never did deep cover, and I was lousy at undercover, but I was a great plain clothes narcotics investigator. Uh, and in the DEA, I'm sure you have all three. Yes, we do. Well, I, I think it takes a special person, and uh, I did my share of undercover. Uh, most of the time, what we what I was doing was running big investigations. I mean, I'll, I'll well, I'll tell you a story. I, I was I was supposed to be a mob guy, and I was buying heroin from Colombians in New Jersey and New York, and uh, it was it was fascinating because the first buy was a kilo. It was worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it wasn't a problem. But they the Colombians 
Colombians who were treacherous people, and I'm not saying all Colombians, but Colombian drug drug uh, dealers can be quite treacherous. Uh, and and I, I remember them being afraid of me because I was acting as the mob guy. So they were afraid of the Italians. It was it was really comical. And within two meetings, we ended up taking that off. And I, and ironically, we seized a number of uh, a number of pieces of property up in Vermont and such. And so it, it's it's very very difficult. And I, I can tell you, I've covered many a person in in undercover situations. You're listening to them, and you have to be very very quick. Uh, to, to access to try to save save them, and so many people with DEA have been injured and hurt in undercover uh, situations. So it's extremely dangerous, but you've got to have the gift of gap to do it. You do. You have to be a great actor too. That's the yes. thing. Uh, look, I look like a cop. I think I always have. I probably always. I'll be that eighty-five-year-old guy with a walker, and people say, "Shh, there's the police." Uh, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter, and I could not pull it off. Yeah. So when you have someone sitting there. And by the way, you said earlier in the conversation, when you're dealing with drugs and large amounts of it and dealers and turf wars and Mm -hmm. them protecting themselves from being ripped off by other dealers, there's a whole litany of threats that that undercover faces. You have to be on your game and look for any kind of warning sign that your life's in in danger. Yes. And when you walk in, one of the things that has to do, you have to have a a strong team supporting you and, and watching you, and obviously you're broadcasting, and that's the other thing. Where, where, where are we wearing the wire so they can hear what's going on? And I can tell you that there are things that, that are so small that nobody can find them. But the, but the bottom line is that you have to rely on your, on your backup team. And when you when you're when you're walking in there, first of all, it's a, it's a game. It really is a game. You know, show me the money, show me the drugs, show me the money, show me the drugs. It's one of those things. Who's going to win? And uh, and obviously there are ways that that we operate or DEA did operate uh, to to try to protect that. And there is some money. There there are big there's big money. But but yes, in order to protect themselves, there's almost always guns. <clears throat> there's almost uh, almost always other uh, watch lookouts that uh, that are also carrying guns. So you're in jeopardy until you can get out of that building. And so you have to be very careful. And it takes planning and it takes gumption. My hat's off to them. That's a special breed of person that can do that. And most people I know aren't born with that skill set. They may have a little bit of the acting ability, but it's acquired with time and experience. And I couldn't do it. I'll be honest with you. I understand. I mean, I did some training uh, for undercovers and such, and you know, there's there's a way. And DEA is very, very good at it. They've done it for a long, long time, and all over the world. And what I feel is <clears throat> that it, it's an important it's an important job. But I have to say too, an awful lot of what we're doing now are wiretaps, or I say we as if I'm still there, and <laughs> you know what I mean by that. It's in my bud. Uh, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about the art, the art of observation, and I think so many people who are not police officers just don't observe including my wife you'll say what car was that what's that who was driving by and you know that you and i have have you know taken book on what's going on and what what the plate is and so many people are just have no situational awareness and and so it comes with doing it and with being relied upon to uh you know to take care of bad matters that most people don't want to deal with you have to be so observant and a real quick story when i was detailed the dea in baltimore uh, it was a rare occasion i got to go home early for whatever reason and we were renting a second floor of a 
we called row houses in Baltimore. Yep. And uh, I was driving a Pontiac Firebird Formula 400, which is a DEA car. And I get to the street to park, and I've got long hair, a beard, everything else. Don't look like police. And there's two guys on the front porch of our house, and one of them is one of the fringe targets of our investigation. (laughs) And... I'm thinking right away, you're like, what are they doing? Are they looking yeah. for me? Is it yeah. retaliation? So you have to keep your head. I got in the radio, called for uniform units. They pulled them over away from the house, and we checked them out. And we never could prove they did anything wrong, but they got the message they were in the wrong area. Uh, <laughs> and things like that, if I told someone that, they would say, again, copaganda, because there was no, no gunplay. No. But you have to be on your guard, and especially now. I mean, you know, unfortunately, police are targets, and there's such disdain in some in some segments. Uh, thankfully, most of the people support police, and even even with the things that we've watched. But it's not an easy job. And and again, what you said, it's it's not for everyone. And we talk about that. You know, going back to my my classroom stuff, we talk about that, and I think that's really important. What, what it requires and what it takes, and the impact on your own life, the impact on family, the impact on personal time it's a, it's a it's a different way of life speaking of personal time how was it for you maintaining a family life while you're in the dea uh, it, it was fine and uh you know as i as I moved on to become a supervisor there are certainly people who want to want to hitch their wagon to that to that job and that the job is everything it becomes their identity uh, but I, but I, ha- I would bring people in and remind them. Listen, I know this is job is exciting, it's exhilarating, it's all of those kinds of things. You, you can hide, you can lie, you can do all of those things. But the bottom line is, when the job goes away, they're going to forget you five years from now, three years from now. You'll have a couple of friends, but just keep in mind what's important, and that's family. And and that kept me grounded. And and I was lucky, and it sounds like you were lucky, that I had someone who was independent and understood and was supportive, and that made it an awful lot easier. You know, DEA was a difficult job because it required time, long, long hours. Oh my goodness, Jay! And, you know, three o'clock in the morning, up at three o'clock to to, to do a six o'clock raid, uh, travel constantly, travel to foreign countries. I've traveled to Russia. I've tra- traveled to Europe. I've traveled to the Caribbean. I've traveled to South America. I mean, it 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 really requires a lot of you, and so you have to have somebody back home that uh, can take care of things and i was lucky i mean we, I, at this point i've been married 44 years so i guess i picked the right one and she's put up with my for a long time well i would say to you please be sure to tell her i said thanks for her service as well very much Thank appreciated so you. now you're a college professor and you have a podcast tell us about the podcast well, the podcast, it's funny, I, you know, I, as I go back in time, I was, uh, when I went, when I decided to go into the ar- army, I remember going to the recruiter and the recruiter, I, I went to school. My first uh, school was, um, was radio and television broadcasting, believe it or not. It was a two year degree and I worked for a little while, but it didn't, didn't, <laughs> it, it didn't yield an awful lot. And so when I went to the recruiter, the recruiter said, what do you want to do? I said, I want, yeah, armed forces radio or policing. I had met a, a person who I used to walk the beat with in a, in a small city in Massachusetts, and I caught the bug at that point in time. And so, uh, you know, 
my whole life has been service. I'm in a, in a public service for a long time. And so the podcast itself is to give back. And, and the title, the cop doc, is, you know, people say, what, well, you're, you're the cop doc. And I said, no, no, all I'm saying, I'm a, I'm, 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 a, I'm a doctor of public administration. That's what I am. I'm not a medical doctor. But, but I understand organizations. And I can tell you that when I go and talk to other people and we speak the language of each other, the doors break down and they talk whether I'm in Russia or I am in, and this really happens, or in the Caribbean, or I am in Ireland, or I'm in Britain. Uh, there's that commonality. And so my, the, the cop talk is really about what's going on with leadership. How can we, how can we do it better? How can, we, how can we help with training? How can we help with health of police officers? And those kinds of conversations and perspectives are really helpful. And the people who listen to it, uh, and it's growing, people who listen to it are college professors, they're CJ students, they're practitioners, they're community leaders. And so it's, it's going very well. And it's full circle, Jay, from my radio days that I never, that I never, took, that never took shape to, uh, to doing a podcast. It's amazing. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. And we look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a good one. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Yeah.